Good morning. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditation of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Jesus went, outside, went out beside the lake again. The whole crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he continued along, he saw Levi, Alphaeus' son, sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi got up and followed him. Jesus sat down to eat at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. Indeed, many of them had become his followers. When some of the legal experts from among the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. This is the word of God for the people of God. So as we continue the series of finding your path, we're looking at the first stage, the first waypoint, rest area, if you will, uh, in the path of discipleship. Uh, up here, you can kind of see where we are, right? Uh, heading back that way, uh, folk who are before Jesus, ha haven't found Jesus, aren't sure about Jesus, and then heading off into this direction, those that we call explorers, exploring Jesus, uh, wondering what um, Jesus or the church or a faith life might have to offer them. So I wonder, tax collectors, sinners, um, th those are the people Jesus hung out with. Pharisees, bad, right? I mean, that's kind of what we learn. I remember the, the song when I was in children's Sunday school. I don't wanna be a Pharisee. Do you remember that one? I don't wanna be a Pharisee, cause a Pharisee ain't Fair, you see? Yeah, I've been, <laughs> I've been corny since birth, right? Um, that, I mean, we, we are schooled in this idea that fair, being a Pharisee is not a good thing. But George Barna, a church demographer and public opinion pollist, um, polled a, a large swath of American Christianity, asking them about uh, particular behaviors and beliefs. More than 51% of those that responded, responded saying that they um, agreed with all of these beliefs, which of course then George Barna uh, termed as modern day pharisaical um, uh, beliefs. So here's um, six of them. Um, and kind of just, you know, don't raise your hand. That's not what we're shooting for here. But, um, <laughs> but think about these, right? Think about these things. If he knew the Bible as well as I did, his life would be better. 
It makes me think of the tax collector or the, um, the Pharisee and the lowly tax collector in the synagogue praying, right? The, the Pharisee says, oh Lord, thank you that you didn't make me like that poor tax collector, right? If, if we just knew the Bible and worked harder, it'd be good. Or, or number two, I follow the rules. I know the rules. I'm good. Well, the understory there is I didn't need God's grace. I just knew the rules were. Why don't you? Right? Um, you shouldn't hang around people like that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Our scripture story today is Jesus hanging around with people like that. Right? This idea that there are people inside and there are people outside. And don't get mixed up. Be with the people who are inside. Or, you know, those people, you know, if they just worked harder at prayer, or if they just worked harder at study, because, you know, you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps spiritually, right? These are those Pharisee kind of thoughts. Uh, I'm simply more comfortable with people from my church than I am with people who don't go to church. Right? I mean, every time you see Jesus out and about, he is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, right? You get it um, like three times in the span of four verses. Apparently, it's important to Mark that you get that story. And the last one, people don't go to church. They can come here if they want to. What? (laughs) Do you hear the inside, outside narrative? You see, the longer we hang out in church, the further we get from the experience of those people who have no idea who Jesus is. And so we assume that if you want to be like Jesus, well, you got to dress like us and sing songs like us. You got to sit in pews like us and you have to read the prayers like us and you have to have the Bible version like us. I don't think Jesus says anything about those things. Modern day Pharisees. When we start looking at um, the sweep of this series, we're talking about discipleship as a journey. Now, some of you have said, now, Pastor, I, you can't put me in a box. Are you trying to tell me like, you know, how I'm supposed to grow in Christ? Okay, every journey is unique. No journey is a straight line. Not interested in trying to uh, pigeonhole you or, or uh, push you uh, to grow. Uh, always remember that everyone is a child of God and loved by God. But for discipleship, would you agree that there are some common experiences, common characteristics, maybe even common rest areas where we might find people who seem to have a similar experience along the journey? And the purpose of talking about discipleship as a journey is because when you know where you are, when you know more about the journey, and you can identify where you are, you know what's ahead. You know how you might get stuck. And you know a little bit about what you need so you can reach for it. It's not necessarily a how to get there, but rather a travel log about the destination. So I've been um, holding myself accountable to make sure that uh, I give you some good information basic about the book of the Bible that we're uh, in. And we're in the Gospel of Mark uh, today. Um, There's four Gospels. They're all written at different times after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Most scholars think that uh, Mark was written 15 to 30 years 
uh, after the resurrection. This is probably the <coughs> earliest gospel out of all four. Um, the author, uh, most scholars would say, is um, uh, John Mark. Uh, he was a, an assistant or a helper uh, for Peter, uh, the apostle. Um, most people think that um, John Mark is writing down the stories and memories and history that Peter remembers. Remember, Peter was a, a fisherman, a, a tradesman, uh, quite likely probably wasn't even literate. Uh, and so the old fisherman uh, has the young uh, scribe uh, to write down what he remembers. Now, I think each of the Gospels have a very specific purpose within the idea of telling about the life, uh, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, the Gospel of Mark, um, it tells a story of action. If you're ADD before ADD cool, was cool like I am, Mark's your guy. Um, uh, in the span of 14, 15 chapters, uh, Mark uses the word immediately to begin uh, stories um, uh, at least 13 times. Um, he is all about action. In fact, in the midst of um, the Gospel of Mark, uh, it is uh, uh, shortened to the point. You could, you could read uh, the Gospel of Mark uh, this afternoon in 45 minutes. In the same time span that it would take uh, for you to watch, I don't know, The Bachelor, The Walking Dead, right? You could read the Gospel of Mark. Now, probably an NFL football game, not going to do it for you, right? This d different time, right? Um, and so to be short and to the point, uh, Mark omits some things, like the birth story. And he omits some other stories, but I'm not going to tell you because I want you to get interested and read it for yourself. Um, so looking at Mark, uh, we have Jesus, the crowd, and Levi. So Jesus went out beside the lake again. Okay, important word, again. The whole crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. So Jesus, um, when he was out and about, often would find places where people were and attract them to him and teach. Now, he would teach to the large crowds, but over the course of time of his ministry, people would hear where Jesus was, and they'd come out for a variety of reasons. Not just because he taught, but also because if you hung around Jesus while he's teaching, somebody's going to get healed by a miracle. And there was that couple of groups that still talk about how Jesus fed them. There were 5,000 people, and Jesus gave them lunch. And so the crowd follows Jesus. This is not new behavior for Jesus. This is what Jesus does and who Jesus is. So Jesus sees in the crowd at a tax collector's kiosk, Levi. Now, tax collectors were not the people you wanted to flock around. They weren't the people that you wanted to win friends and influence people with. Um, tax collectors were considered traitors to the uh, uh, nation of Israel uh, because uh, they earned their living by collecting taxes in a particular precinct and they delivered them to the Roman Empire. Now what that means is uh, he, the tax collector is going to get paid off the top after he gives what he's supposed to. Uh, to the Roman Empire. So if, if you knew a tax collector that was living high off the hog, pardon the metaphor there because Jews probably wouldn't be having bacon, but if they were living high off the hog, it's because they were bilking you too much. And so the idea here as we read, he says, follow me to Levi, and Levi gets up and follows him. Levi leaves the group that he could be squeezing more money out of to go with Jesus. 
It's interesting that Jesus invites Levi, and it's interesting that Levi goes with him. Uh, what I love is um, they go to Levi's house. I mean, there's Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus, uh, a lot of miracles Jesus can do, but one of the miracles Jesus can do is say, hey, come follow me, and we go back to your house uh, for a party. And when the party starts, the people who come in the door end up being a bunch of tax collectors. And Levi's like, hey, I know Bob. He's the cubicle right next to me. And hey, there's Jane. Hey, what? I know y'all. Y'all follow Jesus? Yeah. What Levi was finding is that people just like him had the same questions that he had and wanted the same opportunity to be with Jesus. Now, Scripture 5, verse 15 says that uh, tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. You might be like, okay, they went to Chick-fil-A. Why is that exciting? Well, there's uh, important cleanliness uh, laws uh, in the Jewish religion, and who you ate with mattered. It mattered because if you ate with someone who wasn't clean, it was highly likely that you would be considered unclean as well. Now, um, those of you who have relatives uh, in the Deep South, um, my mom uh, uh, grew up in Jasper, Alabama. Um, Dad was from Red Bank, New Jersey. It's a completely different story. But um, uh, mom was from Jasper, Alabama. And this was the place where everybody knew who you were, um, that if you acted poorly when you were out as a teenager on Friday night, it was gonna be, uh, it was gonna make it home before you did on Friday night, right? And um, um, there was like this nice ritual, right? If you're a good person, they'd say, well, bless your heart. <laughs> if you made a mistake, well, they'd give you a second one, bless your heart. And if you got to three bless your hearts, boy, you have been doing right. You need Jesus, right? Um, and in that culture, that kind of small town uh, Alabama culture, who you ate with mattered. Can you kind of grab that piece? Who you ate with mattered. It's not a direct correlation to what was happening in New Testament Israel, but it's close. So Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. And so the Pharisees, who are always watching what Jesus does, right? Those are the folk who are very uh, keen on the cleanliness laws. They're very keen on how best to make a separation between the goodness of God and the fallenness of sin. They find some of the disciples and say, why are y'all eating with sinners and tax collectors? They ask the disciples, but I love it. Jesus overhears it and says to them, healthy people don't need a doctor but sick people do. Now, I have to believe that because of who Jesus was, he never used air quotes, but I think if he was going to, this last sentence, I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. Because later on in scripture, when Paul writes the letter to the church in Rome, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That the problem that the Pharisees had is that they had removed themselves from that fallenness they no longer needed what God had to offer, but what they had was an ability to follow the rules and draw a bright line. The problem with being a Pharisee, especially in today's day and time, is that healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Some of us, all of us, me included, we got our ills, we got our diseases, and I'm not talking about medical uh, insurance, I'm talking about those struggles that we have in discipleship, of journeying to the heart of God, of uh, being released from our sin by being fully in a relationship with God. 
Now you might say, sure, preacher, but why today? Well, because you know, I say it often, that when public opinion pollists ask uh, people outside the church what they think about people inside the church, they, it's consistently over time, three things. People inside the church are hypocritical, judgmental, and anti-gay. You see, whether or not you've got modern Pharisee ideas in your, uh, in your mind, the, the people outside the church say, hey, why do I want to go there? Y'all are the people that are going to use fancy language like UMH for the United Methodist Hymnal and FH for the Fellowship Hall. And you're talking about pervenient grace. How's that grace different from other pieces of grace, right? It's that whole inside, outside. Why do I want to do that? The problem with being a Pharisee is that you miss out on the fact that you need Jesus just as much as everybody needs Jesus. The first stage in discipleship pathway is exploring Jesus. We refer, the, refer to these people as explorers. Um, oftentimes they can be characterized by the statement, I believe in God, but I'm not sure about Christ. My faith is not a significant part of my life. We've talked before last Sunday about how uh, maturity is not global, nor is it straight line, right? So, so we like to assume that if you're a baby, you're immature in everything. And if you're an adult, you're mature in everything, right? Emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. But we also know that that's not global, nor is it a straight line. And so someone can be a, a full physical adult, be mature in their mind and also in their emotions, but having never needed to lean on a spiritual side, they essentially are an infant. That's not a bad thing to be an infant, right? Because God calls all of us, what? Children of God. And so this uh, work of maturity, uh, oftentimes you find folk who are exploring, they don't want to ask the question. They don't want to blunder into a mistake. Because, uh, you know, we've all got the ways we do things here, right? We've got places where we sit. We've got Sunday school classes we go to. There's a way that we pass the offering plate. There's a way that we sing. There are a lot of things that we do and we know how we do them. And when somebody else comes and doesn't know how, we go, hey, look, <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. Explorers sometimes have a hard time exploring because they need non-judgmental spaces, open spaces, and spaces to belong. There's two kinds of explorers. Um, so all of this is kind of pulled from uh, the Reveal uh, study, which was done by the Willow Creek Association a couple of years ago, which was a, a large uh, study of uh, Christians and churches and how Christians move through um, discipleship. Two kinds of explorers. One, one's active and one's passive. You know the actives because they'll come through the door, they'll sit down, the, you don't know them, and they are asking questions, interested about whether this is their spiritual home. Passive explorers. Now, I know you're thinking, well, preacher, I've, I've come to church uh, every Sunday for the last 10 years. I ain't one of those. Yeah, but, but if you still got questions and you're still wondering, you, you know, you're good with God, but not so sure about Jesus, and you're still not sure how to put together a day-to-day -day life with Jesus, you're probably a passive explorer. It's not a bad thing, right? We're all children of God. But I've had um, church folk in previous churches that... Um, they hid well. You know, you know what I mean? Like if I, if I sit in the usual spot every Sunday and I show up regularly and I put in a tithe card and I do the things I'm supposed to do, 
he's not going to ask me a question. Right? But, but this exploring opportunity, it's an important time for questions to be asked, for belongingness to be communicated. Um, what, what's interesting is, um, the, I thought with this earlier today. Oh, oh, too many. All right. So this is one of those uh, Ill, kind of illogical, contradictory things that came out of the study. The longer an explorer attends church, the less likely they are to become Christ followers. I know, my engineer's out there going, hmm? Right. The longer explorers attend church, the less likely they are to become Christ followers. I think there's a variety of issues here. Uh, some is, you know, when people come to church, there is a point of pain and there is a curiosity about God. And over time, you know, as a church, they might get filled with other things, kind of more cotton candy issues, or maybe they find a way to numb away their pain. And so the desire to actually become a Christ follower is taken care of by hanging out with Christ followers. So the longer explorers attend church, the less likely they are to become Christ followers. Now there's some, I think these are a little bit cheesy, but for each of the stages, there's an identity piece so for explorers, their identity is in self, stuff, role, status, power, and material things. Now, I've served churches um, that, were, that were where the people with status and power and material things attended. And, and, and so sometimes it was hard to distinguish the ins and the outs if just using those things. Remember, I grew up in the woodlands, right? Um, and so I'm not so sure how much stock I would put into that. I would say that explorers need certain things to grow. They need a certain environment. They need safety to ask questions. They need options for practical group study. I love the church that says to the first-time guest, we have Disciple Bible Study. It is a 32-week in-depth study of all parts of Scripture. Too much, right? They need to belong. That's why we don't use the word visitors for guests, right? Because I don't know about you, but at my house, we don't have a visitor uh, bedroom. We have a guest bedroom. Right? Visitors are something that you kind of want to get rid of because they're going to mess the place up. Guests are people that you open up your house and you give them the best of what you have and you treat them like family. They need teaching on Bible basics and they need help in understanding how to put a day-to-day -day life with God together. What they most need is an opportunity to see other people trusting Jesus so that they will trust Jesus as well. What are the places where explorers get stuck? Explorers get stuck when they don't belong. That's that inside-outside language. When the church doesn't have entry points or welcoming or opportunities. I'm not talking about doors. I'm talking about particular moments where it's okay to be new, right? Um, I love uh, previous uh, church, a Sunday school class. Um, I went to see them there. I think I've told you this before. They were all in their 90s or 80s or maybe 70s, but um, I asked him, I said, I said, what, what's, because every Sunday school class kind of has their thing. I said, what's y'all's thing? And they said, yeah, we're the early marrieds. <laughs> and they'd been together since they were early marrieds, and they'd raised their children together, and they'd learned about married life together, and they had watched their children go off to college, and they'd welcomed grandkids, and they were all together. Could you imagine how hard it would be to break into that group? Right? You need spaces and places where people can be new. 
And of course, um, we like to use our Christianese and Methodistese language, and so they just don't understand what we're talking about uh, when we don't use plain language. I want to encourage you to find the Levi's in your life. That, that when, um, um, so if you remember back to the day when you turned 16, and you either, uh, uh, somebody bought you a car, or you got to drive the car, or um, you saved up your money and you got a used car, whatever it was, that car, do you remember how you kept seeing that car everywhere, <laughs> right? I mean, you were so focused on that. I believe when something new happens in our life, we get focused on that, and we see it everywhere. I, I remember when uh, we were um, uh, planning for Grace to show up, right? Amy was pregnant. We were uh, putting the nursery together in the parsonage, and I saw baby strollers everywhere, right? So, some of us have been inside the church so long that we've forgotten to see the Levi's in our life. We've forgotten to see them. I mean, that moment, you remember it when you came to know Jesus, you saw Christians everywhere. You saw God active everywhere. You were on fire and probably annoyed some people around you. <laughs> right? But you saw it. And now that you're moved down the path, maybe you don't see the Levi's in your life. I, um, I always go uh, out kind of this way when I'm headed to Houston to make hospital visits. I, I stop at that Bucky's, you know, the one on is it Old Angleton Road in 2004. And, and I was in there on Saturday and um, uh, the two ladies behind the counter were talking about a funeral. And, and about, you know, caskets and cremation and this and that. And, and I, I just kind of inserted, I was there paying myself. I kind of inserted something and they both looked at me and I could tell, oops, I was not supposed to speak right then. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry. I said, I, I'm, I'm just a pastor. And they both said in unison, we know. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, is there a sign on my back? Like, and I said, really? And they said, yeah, two Christmases ago, your congregation in between the Christmas Eve services took plates of cookies and gift cards out to people who had to work on Christmas Eve. And they came by and we still remember how generous and loving your church was. It's Chapelwood, right? On Willow. Yep. If I ask those two ladies to come to church, they'll say, in their head, yeah, you're paid to ask us to come to church. But if you invite them to church, if you say, you know, uh, I go to this church and at worship, um, we really, we celebrate, we're uplifted. Uh, we love kind of the, to talk about the positive work that God does in our lives. And, and, you know, the preacher sometimes can't make the slides work, but, but it's a practical sermon and we learn about scripture and, and our lives are deepened together. Will you come with me this Sunday? Yeah, they know you're not paid to say that. They might, 85% is what studies show, might take you up on that. I really do believe that uh, membership has its privileges, but not at the church. I mean, think about that, right? Uh, and help me, because I'm a lifelong learner, but when I read scripture, I do not see the word member in the scriptures. What I see is um, Jesus uh, inviting us to be disciples, which you could uh, translate as followers or students. 
And in the Gospel of John, in the upper room discourses, where he's um, right before he's about to be arrested in the garden, um, they've shared um, 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 Eucharist. <laughs> they've shared Eucharist. They've, um, they've washed each other's feet. And Jesus says, do you remember the words? He says, I no longer call you servants. I now call you friends. I think one of the most core images, the most important task of the church, one of the reasons why we are here are to be friends to strangers. Finding the Levi's in your life and inviting them on the path, showing them how you trust Jesus, letting them know that it's not about the perfect, but it's about taking the next step can make a difference in your life and a difference in someone else's. Inside the bulletin, you'll find an insert. We're trying to be really uh, you know, responsive to um, your requests. In there, you'll find activities at uh, Chapelwood that fit this stage. You'll find questions for reflection that are about this stage. Um, there's a, um, an idea in discipleship that there's the way of contemplation and the way of action. And so we've suggested things for reflection and things for action. Now, I know how absolutely wonderful you are as a church and how at times quite overachieving. The list of things to do is not to do all of them, but pick one or two. One or two that resonate and are comfortable or one or two that maybe are on the outside of your experience and would stretch you a little bit. You see, it's not about pushing you all to go to the next stage, but it's letting you know that there are common places along the journey and that when you know where you are, you know what you need. You know how to get it. You know what the dangers are of getting stuck. And you know that there are people journeying along with you. I hope that you'll see the Levi's and if you are a Levi, don't hide. That's what we're here about. A good question is a wonderful opportunity to start a relationship. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.